Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. We've been in a sermon series here recently that we've simply titled Calling Shotgun. Calling Shotgun. And what we are looking at in the life of this series is what it looks like to choose the passenger seat of our own life in an effort to allow the Lord to drive. What does it look like to choose the passenger seat of our life in order so that the Lord can drive? And we've looked at this scripture a few times, but I feel it's pertinent for this morning. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. I got a long way to go and a short way to get there, so let's jump in. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, if you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen, says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is. You have to understand, they didn't just randomly grab one of God's many titles. They could have said Savior, but they didn't. We're the Spirit of the Saviors. It's not the Spirit of the Savior. It's not the Spirit of the Messiah. It's the Spirit of the Lord. The word Lord means He is the boss. He is the shot caller. He has the say-so. And where God has the absolute say-so, there is freedom. And this morning, I want to talk about the area I believe most Christians today experience the least amount of freedom. This morning, I want to talk about allowing the Lord to be the Lord in an area called your mind. I don't know if you've been around this church thing very long, but if you have and if you one day do, you will find that most of the time, many Christians struggle to truly step into real freedom in the area of their mind. I want to talk this morning about allowing Jesus to be Lord of your mind. I'll never forget, it was a couple years ago, I was preaching um, at a conference in Denver, Colorado. Denver, Colorado, I was there and uh, I had preached at the conference. Uh, hundreds of young people were saved, delivered, set free, filled with the Holy Ghost, okay? It was a powerful time, powerful time. And uh, so needless to say, the ministry went on into the night. And finally, when it was time for me to go back to my hotel, it was late. So the church, the people who had brought me in, they're driving me to my hotel. It's super late at night, which just means there, there's not a ton of traffic on the roads. And so we're, we're driving late at night through the dark Denver streets. And all of a sudden, up ahead of us on this highway, we see these two taillights. And all of a sudden, we see these taillights drift over into our lane. No blinker. No blinker. Once you live in San Angelo, Texas, you're used to that. Okay, nobody uses their blinker around here, including me, baby. Okay, she's like, blinker, Keenan. Sorry, I'm still learning. No blinker. Comes right into our lane, but doesn't stay just confined to our lane. Goes into where oncoming traffic would be if it wasn't so late at night. And so all of a sudden, they're over in the other lane where cars should be coming at them. And then they drift over back into our lane, drift into their original lane. Then they decide to ride on the rumble strip for a while. Okay, and I can hear them in the backseat 
seat of our car. They are loving the rumble strip. They are driving by Braille, okay? And so all of a sudden, they leave the rumble strip, go back into their lane, come into our lane, go into oncoming traffic, come into our lane, go into their lane, hit the rumble strip. This happens for miles as we go to my hotel. And I'll be honest, you know, we did the good Christian thing. We prayed for them, all right? I was sitting there like, God, wake them up, sober them up. I don't know what you got to do, but get them up and get them out of here right now in the name of Jesus. Like, Jesus, take the wheel. Get, get them out of here now. So we called the police. Okay, we, we did our practical things. We didn't just pray. We did some practicals. We gave them the make and model of the car, told them our coordinates. And finally, that vehicle veered off the road and, down, and went down an exit. And I'm still praying today that all ended well for that person in the car. But the reason I point that out to you is this. There was nothing wrong with that vehicle at all. That vehicle was not malfunctioning, even though we were watching that vehicle struggle to stay in one lane. There was nothing wrong with the vehicle. No, something was wrong inside the vehicle. Something was wrong with what was driving the vehicle. Something went awry on the inside. And I'm here to tell you this morning, the outside is always an indicator of what is going on on the inside. So much of the time we want to judge the exterior when it's not really the exterior we ought to look to. We ought to have eyes that can see beneath the surface and see something must be awry within. And I'm here to tell you this morning, the same, the exact same is true of your mind. You know, a lot of the times, you know, even when I was young, my mom, if I was doing something dumb, stupid, you know, she'd look at me and she'd go, Kenan, are you out of your mind? That was, that was the phraseology. Okay, that was the exact terminology. Are you out of your mind? And here's what I have found. Most of the time when people begin to act out of their mind, it's always due to what they have allowed in. All right, now to their mind. You begin to act out of your mind because of what you have been allowing in to your mind. And I feel the Lord saying, I love you too much to allow you just to let anything take residence and take the driver's seat of your mind. This morning, I want to talk about what does it look like to actually allow Jesus to be Lord of your mind? Because I think we're really good at letting Jesus be Lord of our spirit. That just means you're saved, okay? You let Jesus be Lord one time, you acknowledge his sufficiency, his supremacy, the fact that his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and enthronement accomplished everything you could not. Bam! Your spirit is made perfect, but every day you wake up to what's called your soul. Yes, sir. Your soul is comprised of three things, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your spirit and your soul are two completely different things. I hear people say all the time, Jesus saved my soul. And after five minutes with them, I'm like, no, he didn't. <laughs> no, no I, I, he, he may have saved your spirit. He may have saved your spirit, but he is still saving <laughs> your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And I have found that it Personally, I have had the hardest time allowing Jesus to truly be Lord in those three areas. My mind, my will, what I want, and my emotions, the things that I feel. And this morning, I feel the Lord saying, I want the driver's seat back. I want to be able to call the shots. Because the scriptures are very clear that God has thoughts about our mind. He has honestly commands 
as to what we are to do and how we are to steward our mind. We find one of them in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 says this, specifically verse 2. He says, set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. Notice what really, ultimately, listen to me, the Lord is saying through the pen of a man named Paul. He is saying, you have the ability to set your mind. You can set your mind. It is your responsibility to set your mind. And I want to make a clear distinction here. He is writing to a church. This is Colossians, which means he's writing to a church in a village called Colossae. He's writing to people who have bowed their knee at the foot of the cross, who have said Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and he still feels it's pertinent for them to know, even though you're saved, you still gonna ha- you're going to have to set your mind. Just because you're saved doesn't mean your mind is going to automatically be set. You have to wake up every day and say, God, I choose. I choose to lean into your grace. I choose to lean into your power, not my own discipline, not my own diligence, not my own devotion, not my own ability to cross T's and dot I's, but I lean into your sufficiency, your spirit, your power. I set my mind on you. And what I want to ask you this morning is where has your mind been set lately? Where's your mind been set lately? What has your mindset been lately? Because I feel the Lord saying, I want to do a mind reset. There are some things that God wants to reset this morning because sometimes it becomes hard to truly set our minds. And you know, in this moment in Colossians chapter three, Paul does not tell us what will happen if we don't heed his instruction. He doesn't tell us. But Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, tells us what will happen if we do not set our mind. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He says this, be sober-minded. In other words, be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil. Some of you need to understand your real adversary is someone called the devil. It's not your mom. It's not your mother-in-law. It's not your boss. It's not Joe Biden. Let's get, it, let's get it straight this morning. Our adversary is not the people on the other side of the aisle from us. Our adversary is someone who wants division to run in our, our ranks and make sure the church of Jesus Christ never gets unified. And his name is called, his name is called the Satan. Yeah. The accuser. The devil. For your adversary, the devil. Let's throw it back up. If I can have my scripture again, that'd be really great. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around. Like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Peter's saying, you need to be sober-minded and watchful. Why? Because if you're not sober-minded and if you're not watchful, you are a prime candidate to be devoured by the devil. The criteria for being devoured by the devil is to be of an unsober mind and to be completely neglect your watchman position. God's calling you. You have a part. What I'm trying to get it clear is you've got a part to play in this thing. It's not God's job to make sure your mind stays where it ought to be. You've got to let him do his job. God likes our participation. And I understand this morning, most of us in here, the biggest battle we face is the six inches between our ears. We are in a war 
in our minds. And this morning, if you would say, Kenan, um, you're preaching to me. Well, I came ready and I want to preach to some people who are struggling in their mind. I want to preach to somebody who feels like the devil is devouring your mind. That's who I came to preach to. I want to preach to somebody who feels like the devil has been devouring their mind. Because the question becomes, what do we do? If the devil's devouring my mind, what am I to do? We've got to set our mind. And this is what I want you to understand. If you don't set your mind, the devil will happily do it for you. If you why do you think that every time you, don't, you aren't intentionally thinking about anything, you tend to go dark and negative? It's because if you aren't intentional about setting your mind, the devil will happily do it for you. Sneakily, stealthily, he will do it for you. And this is why we have to be intentional about where our minds are going. And for the remainder of the time that we have, I want us to go to a place in the book of Genesis, specifically 26. And I want us to look at this passage, Genesis 26 and verse 18. This is just one verse of scripture and it is thick. Genesis 26, 18, spend the rest of our time here. It says this, and Isaac, which by the way, Isaac is a big deal, big deal in the Bible. Okay. Over and over and over people describe God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac is somebody God wants you to know he's in cahoots with. Isaac is somebody God likes being likened as to how he moved in his life. Isaac is a big deal. We roll up on Isaac and it says this, and Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And Isaac gave them the names that his father had given him. So all of a sudden, we roll up into Genesis 26, specifically verse 18, and we find that Isaac has come up on a well. Now, many of you, you you will skip and completely miss the significance of this well because you live in the 21st century. What I'm trying to say is unless you live in wall... (laughs) and you drove in this morning, bless God, you probably are not familiar with a well, okay? Maybe Water Valley, I don't know where you are, Miles, somebody dared to drive in from Miles. We're not really familiar with wells. We've got RO, we've got Ozarka water bottles. We have water readily available, purified for the drinking. Water is easily accessible. But listen to me, it was not so in Isaac's day. In Isaac's day, a well was an integral part of a family and community. Here's why. If things, pun intended, did not go well for your well, it affected your entire family. It affected your entire family. Your well was how you kept your family hydrated, alive, breathing, living. But listen to me, it didn't just affect your family, it affected your livestock, i.e. your business. You entrepreneurs out there, a well would affect everything in your life. And listen to me, the same is true of your mind. Your mind goes awry, I promise your marriage is not where it should be. Your mind's in the gutter, I promise you it's been hard to follow Jesus. It's been fighting tooth and nail, pulling teeth to get you to read your Bible because of things that have gone wrong in your mind. Everything within you is affected by what's in you. 
And all of a sudden we see that these wells are integral. They're a a vital part of life. But listen to me, not only are wells an integral part of a family and community, but wells were hard to dig. Listen, they're living in Bible days. And this isn't just Bible days. This is like Genesis (laughs) Bible days. This is a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This has been a minute. This has been a minute. This has been a minute. Star Wars reference. My, my wife's just on the front row. <laughs> Excuse my nerding out. This is a long time ago. It's been a minute since this happened. What I'm trying to say is in this day, they didn't have John Deere. <laughs> they, I'll take it a step further. They didn't even have modern shovels. So what I'm trying to say is wells were not easy to dig. What it took to get a well was somebody had to dare to get down in the dirt, get their hands dirty, actually deal with what stood between them and the life source. But if someone were to dare to one handful after another, Another handful remove the extra and superfluous even material eventually they would bam hit that life source but listen to me after one person dared to do the digging an entire village could do the drinking and not only could that family and that village live off of that water but listen to me generations could come back and drink from that well I'll prove it to you in John chapter 4 in John chapter 4 Jesus is having a conversation with a woman at a well it is very creatively named Jesus and the woman at the well (laughs) that was called sarcasm okay Jesus and the woman at the well, John chapter four, very famous passage of scripture. And inside of their dialogue, the woman lets the cat out of the bag as to what well they are at. She says, Jesus, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? She lets us know they are at Jacob's well. And if you do the math, This well, in this particular moment, in John chapter 4, dates to 1,500 years old. This well, when Jesus and this woman are having a conversation at it in John chapter 4, is already 1,500 years old. 1,500 years old. What I'm trying to get you to see is Jesus was able to change a woman's life because Jacob 1500 years ago was faithful to dig a place God could one day use for them to meet. What I'm trying to get you to see, what could God do if you were to allow him to dig today in your life? If you were to stop skirting the dirt, if you were to acknowledge where you're actually at and say, God dig something here. I'm not just going to live for the weekend. I'm not just going to live to accumulate a few more dollars. Not just going to live for sex. Not just going to live for a good time, for another hit of dopamine, another release of serotonin. God, I'm committed to what you have breathed into me for the very reason I am even here on earth. Can I remind you, you're not your own idea. Like you didn't think yourself up. You think a lot of you for not having thought yourself up. Kind of weird how that works. You're not even your own idea, but for some reason we arrive on the scene and think we know why we're here. No, you've got to listen to your maker. You've got to go back to the creator to understand why the creation was even thought useful. And I'm here to tell you and implore you, what could God do if you were to dare to let him dig today in your life? I'm telling you, future generations will be blessed. 
When you take your life seriously, I stand here today a product of a mom and dad in a church community who took my relationship with God seriously. I wouldn't be doing anything I'm doing today if they hadn't stared into the eyes of a snot-nosed, shaggy-haired 12-year-old boy and begun to plant the word of God in my heart when I was disinterested, when I thought it was lame, when I didn't want to be one of those crazy Jesus fanatics, like, I love God, but I don't want to go all the way extra. I don't want to be causing a lot of attention to myself. My dad saw past a 12-year-old boy and said, one day there's going to be a 28-year-old man in a generation that needs to be reached. We don't have the luxury to not invest in what God's doing in our lives. What could God do? I'm sorry, I got worked up. My bad. I'll walk the dog. Thank you. Here, boy. He's getting away from me. He's getting away from me. What could God do if you were to dare to let God dig in your life today? Because God's going to use you. But here's the thing. This well that we're looking at in Genesis 26, though the well in John 4 has lasted 15 generations, the well in Genesis 26 didn't last one generation. It says that Abraham dug it, and it's already clogged by the time his son Isaac gets to it, which means it's not automatic. Just because you dug in one season doesn't mean it's going to be automatic for the next generation. You've got to do it daily. This has to matter to you today. It can't just have mattered that at 20 years old, you had a little stint where you gave some time to the church and you invested in some good places and you gave the Lord some room to work. How much room are you giving him now? It's not automatic because just because it one well was passed down 15 generations, the next well didn't make it one generation. So Isaac all of a sudden walks up on this well. And what I want you to understand is this. If you're going to actually deal with what the enemy is doing to your mind, how he is devouring your mind, you're going to have to, here's the first step. You're going to have to be honest about where you are. That's the very first step. You're going to have to be honest about where you are. Because it would have been easy for Isaac to walk up on this well and go, ooh, wow, okay, nope. I didn't see it. Can I tell you, let me tell you right now, ignorance in the kingdom of God is not bliss. Ignorance in the kingdom of God will over and over and over and over cause you to miss on everything God has for you. You understand you are ridiculously and totally loved by God, but the longer you stay ignorant of it, the less of it you're going to experience. There are people who are loved by God all their way to hell, but because they were ignorant of the love. Because no one dared to step out and share the love of Jesus. No one had a backbone and told them truth. They were loved all their way to eternal damnation. We've got to get honest. We can't remain ignorant. And that's what I love about Isaac. He doesn't just go, I'm just going to be ignorant about this. He all of a sudden begins to be honest. Something is not right here. Because listen to me, God can't change what you won't confront. He can't. God needs you to be honest because the first step in healing is to come out of hiding. 
That's always the first step of healing is to dare to come out of hiding. I mean, this has been our problem since Genesis chapter three. Like Genesis chapter three is famously called the fall of man. It's where sin enters the equation for the very first time. And when sin shows up, you know what God does? He asks a question. Sin shows up. Adam and Eve have sinned. They've taken a bite of the fruit that God asked them not to eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They realize their naked form and all the misuses that come along with it. They go and they hide themselves. And notice the question God asks in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. Let's throw it up. The Lord God, I love that it included the Lord God, called to the man, Adam, where are you? Adam, 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 where, where are you? Now we have to ask, is God seriously unaware of where Adam and Eve are at in this moment? Like, is he serious? Like, dang, Adam, like you found the best hide and go seek spot in the garden. Like, where are you at, slugger? (laughs) No, God is not unaware of where Adam is at in this moment. Listen to me. God needed Adam to admit. Yeah where he was at in this moment. And there are many of you, God is standing here today asking you the same question he asked Adam, where are you? And it's not because he's lost you. It's because he longs to find you, restore you, heal you, but you have to acknowledge what's gone wrong. All of a sudden, Isaac gets honest about where this well is at. And the second thing you're gonna have to do is this. You've got to then recognize what is really the problem. And notice this, I threw the word really in there on purpose. I could have just said, recognize what the problem is. I didn't say that. I said, recognize what is really the problem. Because it gets real easy if you spend enough time around church to to extend a problem while you're still hiding the problem. It gets real easy to offer the little cookie cutter, like, huh, this is the palatable thing. This is the thing that people will acknowledge. The Bible does say that's wrong, but people will be cool with it. Here's what I'm dealing with. While we extend the symptom, but keep the disease hidden. God's saying, will you recognize what is really the problem? Because it would have been easy for Isaac to go, you know what? I guess I just, I'm going to assume this well just dried up of natural causes. I guess God just, God! I guess you just don't want this well to produce any water. Lord, have your way. It would have been easy for Isaac to do that, to make an assumption. But Isaac didn't make an assumption. He began to do a further investigation. And upon further investigating, Isaac realized, oh my gosh, this well did not dry up naturally. This well was attacked. It was attacked. And the Bible told us who attacked it. It says that it was attacked after the death of Abraham by Philistines. Now, you don't got to know a whole lot of Bible, but Philistines, good guys or bad guys? Most of you understand. Bad guys, okay? Not good people. David had to take one out. Samson was taken out by one. Okay, Philistine. Okay, Philistines, not great people. They are always a type and an image of sin, hell, death, the grave, the devil. They are a type and shadow of evil. And so all of a sudden we see that Philistines had come and stopped the well. Now here's how they did it. They didn't come in one day and unload a dump truck into the well full of dirt and clog it up. No, they were more stealth than that. 
What they did was every day that Isaac would ignore his well, they'd sneak out to the well and drop a little bit of dirt down in it. And then all of a sudden they wait the next day and see if Isaac's going to ignore his well again. And they run out there again and put a little bit more dirt in it slowly, but surely day after day, polluting the well, a little bit of dirt at a time until finally the dirt accumulated to the point that the well was completely stopped. And I'm here to tell you this morning, this is still how the enemy works. The good news about the devil is he's an old dog and has no new tricks, like literally none whatsoever. But, and if you will get aware of what he's doing, he's really easy to beat. But our problem is this, we're completely unaware that we even have an adversary, let alone what he's trying to do. There's no temptation that is not common to man. There's only three areas the devil will tempt you in. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life is what the scriptures say. And if you'll understand the enemy's tactics, you can beat him every single time. But we remain ignorant and we get our butt handed to us day after day after day after day. And this is what the enemy's doing. He's stealthily, if you ignore your well, the enemy will happily give your well some attention and run out there and drop a little bit of dirt down in your well. What I'm trying to tell you is how you handle Monday through Saturday matters. It matters. Some of you come to church every Sunday and you wonder, God, why am I not growing? It's not because your church is wrong. It's not because your pastor ain't preaching the truth. It's that you're not leaning into the truth every other day of the week that ends in why? You've got to lean into the truth. And at the risk of being lumped in with some caricature caricature of an old preacher in your mind who just wants to tell you not to drink, cuss, smoke, or chew, or go out with girls who do, I'm going to say this. At the risk of getting lumped in with him, I don't want to get lumped in, but I'm going to take a risk because this is true. What you allow into your eyes and what you allow into your ears matters. It, it matters. Like, I know that's like, that, that, that's old school and you're telling me, I, I, you ought not to watch that stuff, son. Listen to me. We still need to hear that. And it's no wonder we're amongst the generation who is in more bondage, in my opinion, than any generation previous to us. We've got access to more wealth. We've got access to more knowledge. And somehow we're coming out on the other end more bound than ever. It's because no one wants to stand up and tell the truth anymore. We're trying to keep you happy so we can keep keep your tithe check coming in. So we can keep the lights on. So we can keep our fat little paychecks. So we can fly around our private jet. I'm sick and tired of it. And thank God that is not true of this house. There is none of that that is true of this house. We are dedicated to the preaching of the unfiltered, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's sad that we've... We've allowed the enemy to come and pollute the well. What you allow into your eyes and what you allow into your ears, it matters. Some of you, I'm going to say this like really calmly because I could get real dogmatic here. Some of you need to really watch what you're watching on Netflix. Half of the stuff on there is porn. Let's call it what it is. And I'm sick and tired of the same church leaders who would reprimand a young man or an old man for visiting Pornhub, encouraging him to watch other shows that have just as much filth, that are just as nasty, that are just as breathed of the devil himself. 
And what we have is we're double-minded. We think because it doesn't have porn in the name, we're good. It's a more recognizable actor. Well, I fast forward through those parts. You saw enough to know you need to fast forward. You saw too much. That stuff's getting down in your soul. That stuff's getting down in your mind. It's time that we begin to tell the truth. It's time that we begin to heal the church of Jesus Christ so that the church of Jesus Christ can go heal and reach the world that it's called to reach. The enemy is slowly but surely polluting our well. You know, I think the number one dirt the enemy will try to pollute your well with is you. Let's think about it. When God made man, he made him out of what? Dirt. The number one dirt the enemy will try to fill you with, and listen to me, this is the most insidious one because you can't even recognize this happening, is he will try to fill you with you. He'll get you to like you. He'll get you to believe in you, which there's nothing wrong with liking yourself. There's nothing wrong with believing in yourself as long as it's because you're made in the image of God. As long as it's because I, I, I don't want to die and sell God short on what he sent me here to accomplish. But it's not because, oh, I'm just so great and I'm just called and I'm just anointed of God. Oh, okay. That does not wax of the anointing in my opinion. That, wax of, that waxes of annoying <laughs> in my opinion but the enemy will try to fill you with you. Listen to me. Can I, just, can I just go here? This is what the enemy is doing to the church. He's polluting our wells. He's polluting our wells. And to the point where all of a sudden we go to read from this book and we go to Acts chapter 2 and we begin to talk about the infilling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Dare we call him the Holy Ghost. And you go, well, I don't know about all that. Well, Jesus seems to know about it. The pages of scripture seem to know about it. Paul seems to know about it. Why don't you know about it? It's because your little denomination told you that's a doctrine of demons. You know who told them that? A demon. And we got demons telling the church what they can and can't believe. This is why we have over 45,000 different Christian denominations. And I'm not trying to hate on denominations. I'm just saying we ought to be more loyal to the pages of Scripture than we are to what's propagated by a denomination. We're drinking dirty water. And we wonder why there's no power. We wonder why there's no evidence of what we believe. We wonder why when Jesus says, these signs shall follow, they that believe, they will heal the sick, cleanse the leper, they will raise the dead, they will cast out devils. We wonder why they're not following us. It's because we don't even believe demons are real anymore. It's like, oh, just up their prescription, change their medication. Their problem isn't a prescription and it's not a medication. It's called legion. That's what the Gerizian demoniac dared to tell Jesus when he asked, who are you? He says, we are legion, for we are many. We're trying to pop pills and get rid of a demon. And I'm not saying there aren't genuine cases where it's just a chemical imbalance. And there aren't cases where it literally is just trauma that needs to be counseled. But listen to me, you can't counsel a demon. You cast a demon out. And it's time that the church rises up and takes its power and gets their mind right in order to affect the world around them. This is where God's bringing us. 
to where not just babysat on a Sunday morning, but we do what we're called to do, and that's equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That it wouldn't just be on Pastor Brandon and I to preach the gospel and pray for people and cast out devils, but you'd be doing it on the, in the highways and byways. That as you're changing wires on some telephone pole, the guy next to you, you're going to lay his, your hands on him and see him recover. Hallelujah. I see that on you, Mark. The hand of God is so strong on you. You have a gift and anointing to garner attention, gather a room. You, have, you hold incredible influence. You're an incredibly witty person. And God's saying, I placed all that there and I intend to use it for the advancement of my kingdom. And I am more committed to it than you could ever begin to believe. God's called you. He's anointed you. He set you apart. But this is where Jesus is taking us. This is where the, the truth will take you. Yes, it's where you get set free to the point where you can be used to set others free. But we've got to be willing to deal with what the devil's doing. And if I could get somebody to play the keys behind me quietly, this is where I close. Is once we've been honest about where we are. And once we recognize what is really the problem. We then have to decide. Here's the next step. We've got to decide to deal with the dirt. You've got to decide to deal with it. You've got to be willing to confront it. And listen to me, I know I told you to be honest, and that's not just be honest in and of yourself. Of like, yeah, I really am here. I'm saying you've got to get some gumption, some courage, and open up to a trusted figure in your life and say, hey, here. Here's the good, the bad, the ugly of where I'm at in this season. Here's where my mind has been. Here's the exact thoughts I'm thinking. We want to come into our small group and say, guys, pray for me. I'm struggling. Okay, what do you mean by struggling? Give us the nitty gritty. Who is it? What's she saying? What y'all been doing? How long has this been going on? Why do you still got the number? Why aren't they blocked? That's what the people of God are there to do in your life, but you won't let them in. And we've got to deal with the dirt. And here is where I want you to see the redemption in all of this. This is how all of this gets fixed is because you have to understand there is a stark difference between you and Isaac. Isaac's the one who digs the well in Genesis 26, but there's a stark difference between you. It said this, that when his father had died, he then had to come and dig the well, which means his father's not there to help him dig. Isaac literally has to get down in this well and dig all by himself. But that's not true of you. Because though Isaac's father may have died and was not available to help him dig, I've got news for somebody today. Your father showed up 2,000 years ago to die so that he could dig you out. So that he could jump into the miry clay. That he could pull you out and set your feet upon a rock. That he crawled up into your well, laid there for three days, but now he is alive and well, seated at the right hand of God and making intercession for you today. That's what my Bible says you're not digging alone is what I'm trying to get you to see the power of God will be the wind at your back the power of God will empower you to say no where you were powerless to say no before and it won't be my might it won't be by power but it'll be by my spirit says the Lord of hosts 
but you've got to lean in. Can I give you real practical? Here's three things of what it looks like to lean into what God's doing in your life. Here's how you dig with God. There's three ways, primary ways. You've got to take your prayer life seriously. Secondly, you've got to commit to actually studying the scriptures. This is what it looks like to dig. It's not just this, I'm acknowledging God's going to dig and I'm just going to let him do it. No, we got to partner with him. And the third thing is this. I want to tell you right now, you got to fast. Fasting is not an antiquated, outdated, dusty concept left to the pages of scripture. You know what Jesus said when they brought a young man to him who was trying to kill himself and the disciples couldn't deal with the demon that was in him? Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. This young man had the spirit of suicide. And we wonder why suicide is at an all-time high. Every 40 seconds, someone takes their life. That's the latest statistic. Every 40 seconds, someone takes their life. Suicide's at an all-time high. You know why? Because the church won't fast. Come on. Oh, that's old. That's outdated. That's, that, 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 that's, that's an antiquated idea. We ought to just be able. It ought to be convenient. Sometimes it's not convenient. Sometimes it takes a, a conviction to come over you and say, God, I, I care more about what you want to do in my life than I care about this plate in front of me. I want to push the plate aside because I want to hunger for you. <laughs> I want to yearn for you more than anything. And sometimes you've got to fast your way into a hunger for God. There are plenty of times I'm fasting and it's not because, oh, I'm just so hungry for God. Sometimes it's like, I'm not hungry for God. (laughs) I need to fast and find my hunger again. These are just some of the ways it looks practically, but you have to understand that when you dig, you don't dig alone and you're not earning your way out. God's pulling you out but it takes your hand back to him. And right now with every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment of privacy and concentration. (laughs) I'm sorry if I freaked you out this morning, but if it's in the Bible, it ought to be good enough for us. We all, every Christian longs to have the power the scriptures tell us is available. We all long for it. We're just too afraid to step into it. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment, I just want to give you an opportunity to say, Keenan, I'm that person you're preaching to this morning. The devil has been devouring my mind and I'm ready to let... I'm ready to let God in. I'm ready to let him dig. I'm ready to let him do what the scriptures say he will do. And that's that his anointing will break the yoke of bondage on my life. If that's you this morning... I just want you to raise your hand right now that in any area of your mental health, you're saying, God, I need your help. Any area of your mental health. I really even feel like there's some people who have been struggling with suicidal ideation, suicidal ideation. God set a young man this past Thursday free of suicidal thoughts. This past Thursday, right here in this room, set him free. If you'd say, Keenan, leave that hand up, leave that hand up. I want to know who I'm praying for. If that's you, you'd say, Keenan, I need, I need freedom in my mind. My mind has been going places. The enemy's wreaking havoc. Maybe you've got suicidal thoughts. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you for every hand raised to heaven right now because that hand is representing a mind, a soul, a spirit that is yielding to you. Lord, I thank you that you begin to stand up in them like never before. Lord, I thank you that you begin to bust out in their life. Lord, I thank you that everything they put their hand to will prosper because your hand is upon them. Lord, give them a spirit of discernment. Let them know what to go to, what to not go to, who to give attention to, who to not give attention to, what to watch, what to not watch. God, give them a spirit of conviction this morning, not of condemnation, 
but a spirit of conviction in the name of Jesus. I command freedom. I command freedom. I say the Lord is taking over your mind. The Lord is doing a divine mindset right now, a reset in your mind right now. And I declare freedom where there used to be bondage right now. I say to depression, die right now in the name of Jesus. Anxiety, wither away now in the name of Jesus. Addiction, crumble now in the name of Jesus. The power of witchcraft be let go off of your life now in the name of Jesus. I break any word curse that's been spoken over you now in the name of Jesus. I thank you for complete and total freedom. I thank you for purity of thought. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for what Jesus did this morning? Come on. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to have some of our our prayer partners come forward. They're going to be available up here near the stage to pray for you. Listen to me. I don't want you to miss an opportunity to allow a man or woman of God to lay their hands on you. The Bible is clear that something shifts with the laying on of hands. Over and over in scripture, we see there is power in the laying on of hands. I think it's one of the things the enemy's tried to keep us from being able to do for the last three years. There's power in it. Allow these people, allow these men and women of God to lay their hands on you and pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. Lord, I thank you that they go out of here armed and dangerous with the gospel of peace, that the peace of God, which which transcends everything they can understand, would guard their heart and their mind in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you would help them to guard their hearts, guard their minds, give them a spirit of discernment, help them rightly divide the word of truth, penetrating even dividing soul and spirit. And we thank you for it now. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, y'all have a great day. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.